When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. As you all know by now, I have this obsession with substrates. It's like almost like a fetish. I don't even know if that's the right word, but just I'm really into them. And one of the things I'm into when it comes to, to substrates is the use of sediments. Now, without going into a long geological you know, description about sediments, I've Suffice it to say that they are a component of substrates in natural aquatic ecosystems, and I think they need to be utilized more in aquarium work. And that's kind of why I got into my whole idea of, you know, playing with the substrates in their soon-to-be-released, long-promised nature-based line. Um, I've always looked at substrate materials the way some people look at like cocktails. It's about mixing things. Yeah, really. It's a, and it's also about a mindset. Now, in nature, there's numerous factors which contribute to the composition of substrates, including geology, the flow velocities of the body of water that they're in, the surrounding topography, the seasonal variations in water level, you know, inundation, desiccation cycles, the accumulation of materials from the surrounding terrestrial environment. So it always makes me wonder, like, why do we as hobbyists who want to create the most realistic approximation of wild habitats impossible, just sort of mail it in when it comes to substrate? I mean, mindset is like, oh, just open a bag of, you know, whatever sand and call it a day and move on to the more exciting parts of the tank, right? I think we just rely on the commercially available stuff and that's that, which is kind of sad. Now, in defense of the manufacturers of sands and gravels for aquarium use, I love what they do and I love what they have available. These items are generally of excellent quality, but they provide a wide range of choice for a variety of applications and are readily available. And quite honestly, I've said this before, dark secret of mine, I'm so obsessed with substrates that if I were doing something besides botanicals for aquariums, I'd probably start a company or invest in a company that does substrates because I just, I, I don't know, I just like them. I think it's something that's fun. Anyhow, uh, they're a great, these substrates that are commercially available, commonly ones, are a great starting point for creating more dynamic substrates for our systems. Kind of like, you know, the way tomato puree is to pasta sauce. It's like a beginning. So sure, you can use just a puree and enjoy your sauce. And it's not always better to add a little bit of this or that to sort of build the base into something a little better. Totally. Of course, you could always use the stuff that we've been playing with when we finally release the damn stuff. <laughs> now, here's a little bit of advice about this nature-based stuff because there's been a lot of buzz, a lot of questions, and I, I just want to keep expectations where they are. People seem to think that this is going to be the, the, the second coming of something. No, no, no. It's not going to be like, you know, going to replace every substrate that's ever been made. It's not going to be, you know, the, 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 the antidote for uh, ADA Amazonia or Carib Sea Torpedo Bees or anything. Those are fine products. I use them. I endorse them. Absolutely. This is a different set of things. And I need to let you guys know what to expect. Like, they're not your typical aquarium substrates. They're in small batches. They're going to be available in bags that are about two to three pounds, uh, not very large. So they're going to be hand mixed literally by hand. Myself and my colleagues are going to mix them by hand here. And they were really, you know, created 
to replicate the substrate materials found in the Agapo and the Varzea habitats of South America and just sort of the overall habitats down there. Uh, more holistically conceived, I suppose. Not specifically for aquatic plant growth, but also more for like biotope replication or habitat recreation. And in these terrestrial environments that I'm obsessed with, like the seasonally inundated Agapo and the Varzea, nutrients are often lost to volatilization, leaching, erosion, and runoff, and that creates these sediments. So that's what these were designed to replicate. So it's important for me to make it clear again that these substrates are more of a representation of a terrestrial type soil that gets flooded seasonally. And they're not specifically formulated to grow aquatic plants luxuriously and, you know, do all that kind of stuff. Now, interestingly, the decomposition of detritus and leaves and such into their our botanical style aquariums and urban agapo displays is likely even a larger source of stored nutrients than the substrates itself in, anyway. I think that's interesting. Now, an added benefit of these types of substrates, these sedimented substrates, as I call them, is that they'll provide a home for beneficial bacteria, breaking down organics and helping to make them more available for plant growth and for the fishes and for, you know, food sources by fry and so forth. That being said, the stuff does grow aquatic and riparian plants and grasses pretty well. Yet I would not refer to these things specifically as aquatic plant substrates. That's sort of selling them short, and it's also putting a role on them that that's not really what they're designed to do. They're not being released to challenge, you know, any of those things. Again, they're not even intended to be compared to them. They're totally different. Remember, our substrates are intended to start out life as terrestrial materials, gradually being inundated as we bring on a wet season. And because of the clay and the sediment content of these substrates, you're going to see some turbidity or cloudiness in the water, like for weeks. It won't immediately be crystal clear, just like in nature. And that's not going to excite a typically planted aquarium, you know, typical planted aquarium lover for sure. And no, I haven't done the CEC testing with these substrates like a lot of people ask. Uh, something that we will probably do in the future if we can find a lab that can do it. Uh, maybe some enthusiastic or curious scientist hobbyist might just do that, of course, themselves. Um, anyway, the takeaway on these substrates and on the, the idea of different substrates in general. These substrates, because of their unique composition, will create highly cloudy or turbid water if you flood it immediately before it's sort of a terrestrial phase where it's gradually wet. It'll take weeks of submersion before you achieve that sort of crystal clear look that you love so much. I can't stress it enough, with our emphasis on the holistic application of our substrate and our focus on the big picture, not specifically aquatic plant growth, that, that's an important distinction. Yet hobbyists being hobbyists, I'm sure that they'll evaluate them based on this ability, so I at least felt I should address that topic now, even before we release these things. And the whole thing about soupy water with some turbidity and even a bit of cloudiness is part of the game. It's very similar to the conditions you see in recently flooded forest floors and meadows. That's the environments that these were designed to help you replicate. A whole part of the different, you know, the use of different substrate materials borders on the same mindset that we embraced with botanical style blackwater aquariums in general. The acceptance of natural aquatic systems as they really appear, not as the, we'd like them to appear. It's tough to stomach that sometimes. I get it. It goes against the way we look at things as hobbyists. It goes against the norms in a big way. I mean, why would you knowingly put this stuff in your aquarium, which makes it look less like this crystal clear, beautiful planted aquarium that you see on you know every website known to man, and more like a soupy, dark, you know, desiccating forest stream with lots of turbidity and leaves and stuff like that? Well, it's because more. It's really more what nature actually looks like. 
And in many aquatic systems, you'll not only see the turbidity caused by the sediments and mud, you'll see a lot of humus and coverage created by decomposing grasses and tangles of submerged terrestrial plant roots. Algal mass, which kind of arise from this decomposing morass of stuff, form an important food source for you know, any grazing area for many fishes. And not only the algal, algal mats themselves, but the life forms, the fungal growths, the biofilms, the microcrustaceans, etc., which are also attracted to these areas. It's the basis of a food web. And as we've talked with before in our last episode with our friend Ty Streitman, there is definitely an ability to create a food web in an aquarium. How complete, we're not necessarily sure, but we can certainly have the makings of a rudimentary food web. And the fine particulate matter which accumulates in the sediment layer is used for sustenance by a huge variety of aquatic organisms, some which feed directly on it and others which filter it from the water or uh, they're accessing it in the sediments that result. This alignonous material supports a diverse food chain that's almost entirely based on our old friend, detritus. Again, something we've talked about many times. The idea of a substrate forming a dynamic basis for an underwater habitat of diverse life forms is a fundamental difference as compared to approaches that we've embraced in the decades past. We're pretty excited to see many hobbyists running with this idea, kind of going with mixes of different terrestrial materials in and on the substrate to more realistically represent natural habitats in their aquariums. It's an exciting shift in thinking and tactics. It's something that I keep coming back to because the idea of utilizing botanical materials in your aquarium substrate just keeps tantalizing me with its performance and potential benefits. I've worked with this stuff for a long time and I'm super excited about this approach and I know a lot of you are too. As I've obsessively reported to you over the last few months, uh, I recently ran a small tank in my office for the sole purpose of doing damn near the entire substrate which just leaves and twigs and pretty much nothing else like in nature. This was less than like a quarter of an inch of sand. The whole, that was the whole scape, just leaves. What we in the reef world would call a no scape because there's no structure to it. It was just leaves and a little bit of detritus and a shoal of paracaridon simulants, the green neon tetra, nothing else, period. And the interesting thing about that tank is that it's one of the most chemically stable low maintenance tanks I've ever worked with. It held a TDS of around 12 months because of water and a pH of 6.2 pretty much from day one of its operation. It practically never deviated. It cycled in about five to six days. I say cycled because ammonia was barely detectable anyway during that cycle. I had to use a low range, um, you know, marine grade colorometer test kit to get any kind of a reading at all. Nitrite, same thing, peaked at I think way less than 0.25 on a hobbyist, 2.5 milligrams per liter on a hobbyist test kit in approximately three or four days. And this was not the first time I'd seen this. Now the point of this piece is not to drop the old humble brag about how bitchin' my tank was and how cool my nitrogen cycle was, all that kind of stuff. The point is to show what I think is an interesting thing I've noticed about this type of tank and others which embraced a substrate-centric approach. It's that somehow they manage the nitrogen cycle very effectively. It's an approach that uses sedimented substrates, a mix of leaves or other crushed up botanicals and some bacterial inoculation. And the results were always the same with every one of these tanks I've done. I'm doing one right now and it's the same kind of thing. There's this stability and this ease of function. You have to accept some different looks. I, that's a fundamental part of this thing. And I'm frequently quite astounded how quickly new tanks can go from dry to broken in in a week or so. And not just broken in, i.e. cycled, but like stable, like they never change after that. I don't usually do this, but I tested all the basic parameters every day for the first three weeks of that particular tank's existence, just to kind of see what would happen. 
in a couple of leaf litter sediment only tanks I set up, I did the same thing and the results were similar. It got boring to the point where I was actually wasting, you know, reagents or battery life on my meters. Uh, and it was kind of funny. I was like, wow, it's a lot of testing to write zero, zero, zero. Now, the interesting thing about a tank like this is that it relies on leaves and substrate in a way that I've rarely done before in years past. Yet I had complete confidence that it would, would work. And I'm not some visionary here. Like many of you, I'm just a guy who's played with you know, Blackwater botanical style corners for a while, and I developed a certain degree of comfort with them. I'm again, many of you are in that same position. And the point of this is that if you start with that substrate and start thinking about those ideas, there's all kinds of stuff you can do. And what, what goes on in an aquarium with botanicals or leaves in this instance, uh, as the total substrate or even the hardscape, as the case may be, is that they become the basis for not only the look but biological activity in the tank. And I said a, a million times here. As they break down, they recruit bacteria, fungi, and other organisms on their surfaces. Those are the basis of your filtration system, if you will. That's the basis of life in your tank. You gotta mix it up. You gotta play with sediments, crushed leaves, broken bits of botanicals, bacterial inoculants, as we're talking about, and we'll see some, we'll have a lot more to say on that very soon. All sorts of natural stuff, which would previously have been considered dirty or bad for long-term maintenance or whatever in almost anybody's book. The game is changing the ideas are starting to work, not starting to work. They've worked for billions of years. We're just starting to see that they actually work. This is really important. Open your mind up to accept the look and the function and the aesthetic challenges of using non-traditional materials in your substrates. It'll excite you, it'll challenge you, and it'll expand your horizons in the botanical style aquarium world, trust me. So stay observant, stay creative, stay excited, stay resourceful, stay unabashed. Stay ready, because I swear this stuff is going to drop soon. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tin.